Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Muniz Gund. Today I have a very special guest, Melissa from Oh That's Just My Autism. Many of you might know her, uh, listening to her podcast before. Um, she was definitely one of the main podcasters that inspired me to start uh, my podcast. Um, you know, just, uh, I've always admired her style of podcasting, like this grassroots, pure, like used to be out of her closet. Um, and you know, just no editing style. Uh, cause like, and because I used to, that's what I found like works best for me as well. And that's what really, um, inspired me to start mine is because I kept, I would get in my head if I kept trying to think about it, like, the neuronormative like way of like trying to build these molds and stuff I just get too stressed out because I'm just like but it's too much and then I never do it because that's like I'll sit on it because I just keep thinking oh if I do it this way if I do it that way but I really like how how you Melissa how you just um you know you were able to just kind of like just you know what I'm gonna do it and let's see how it goes and you know, you have over a hundred episodes now, so it's I, I feel like it's been, you know, going really well for you. And I mean I certainly really it did it had a huge impact on me. So anyways, I know I've been doing a lot of talking, so I'm gonna introduce Melissa. Welcome welcome on to the podcast, Melissa. Thank you. And I'm really glad to hear that I inspired you to start your own podcast. That's awesome. And yeah, I totally get what you're saying about the whole like intimidation factor of trying to like plan stuff out and get it perfect and edit it and stuff. And I just knew if I tried to do that, I would also, like you said, just get overwhelmed or never record it at all. And uh, I honestly didn't really expect very many people or any people to listen. But now here we are, like a yeah. hundred something episodes in, and you're gaining on me. You're getting close well, to. Well, I'm getting too. close. We'll see. Yeah. But I'm getting close. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, the first question I wanted to ask you today is, what inspired you to start? What would you say was the main thing that like inspired you to start the podcast? I think the main thing is that I, one thing I realized about myself is that I've kind of like to process out loud. So mm -hmm. when things are stuck in my head, thoughts and feelings and ideas and stuff, I have a hard time like processing and sorting it all out. It's all kind of like jumbled together in there. And I feel like if I have a chance to talk things through that processing out loud works really well for me. So I think I just had the idea of like, you know, I should, I should podcast this and, and I don't know if anyone will listen. I didn't really, at that point I was like, I don't care if anyone listens and I'm just going to sort of try and get these thoughts out of my head. And, uh, it was like, it was during quarantine too. So I had a lot of extra time on my hands and, you know, some people would think like, Oh, you could just see a therapist or talk to your partner. But sometimes you 
are kind of like in the middle of the day and you're just like mm-hmm. having thoughts and feelings yep. or something happened that you want to process. And I'm like, I can't wait until my therapy session next week or my partner has a life and can't always like stop what they're doing and listen to me ramble on for 30 minutes about something, you know, sometimes they do, but other times it's like, so I'm like, you know, I'm just going to speak into the void here and see if anybody listens. And so, yeah, that was the main the main thought behind awesome. starting the podcast awesome that's that's so cool because like I relate a lot to that like that's how I felt too about like I had all these feelings and you know I had all these things to say and like a lot of it especially about autism I think it's interesting like it started out actually as something I was doing like one of the main audience targets I had originally was neurotypical people that that didn't know enough about autism and were maybe misinformed or had only like seen what what had been represented represented in media and tv shows which as we know unfortunately a lot of times is not an accurate representation and it's very stigmatizing and so basically this happened because A while back, I had started, so I actually got my diagnosis a while ago, like over 10 years ago, Um, but I hadn't really looked into it that much originally, and I had only really been told the, the stigmatized things that we are generally told about autism. Um, And I know that you had a similar experience, you know, discovering your discovering that you're autistic at, at, at a late age after you had had kids and everything and and then seeking a formal diagnosis and getting that and um you know anyways I, I guess I just like I knew that I was autistic but I didn't really know for me like I didn't really know what it meant fully until recently and you know I, I recently just a few years ago I started working with a new therapist that um is a lot more neurodiversity affirming than my previous therapist. And like, that was a big help to kind of like, she kind of started guiding me a little bit more into the neurodiversity field and like, oh, wow, that makes so much sense now. And like, she, she used this terminology, like saying like, it's like a different language. Um, And that I related to a lot, like, yes, it feels like neurotypical speak a different language. And I'm like trying to understand them. Um, and then what it was really is just at the beginning of last year, I came across this article um, that was written by a neurotypical parent for the autism, the local autism society website, which unfortunately is similar to Autism Speaks, a very ableist, neuro- neurotypical led organization that basically just stick for pro as we all as we all know they promote stigmas about autism um and so i saw this article and it was just this horrible you know the super pathologizing language like epidemic california's autism crisis and i'm yikes yeah i just like oh my god what and then that's when i really woke up to like the scale of this like ableism stuff and and just yeah. like like the fact that there are whole organizations out there that are like perpetuating this stuff. 
Um, And that actually inspired me to that along with um, some, uh, coincidentally, a friend of mine that had also just discovered at 24 that she had ADHD. Um, She started sharing some online stuff like from TikTok with like, of like autistic advocates. And, and then I was like, Oh, wow, like, I hadn't even realized like there was such a that the autistic community had such a a huge um, online presence, a social media presence. And I was like, Oh, my goodness, like, I'm gonna check this out. And then I like, I decided to start an advocacy account on Instagram. And um, then, you know, after that, I start, I was like, I was writing stuff for it. And then I was like, you know, I was doing it like in the stories. And uh, I realized that I just had too much to write. I can't fit it in that little story. Um, Or people won't want to read like it's so, you know, tiny. Um, And so I was like, okay, I'll start a blog. And then I like start, I wrote some stuff for my blog. um, Like, and then I would just link it to my Instagram or link, you know, and, um, and then I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, I like that. I started like, oh, I really like doing this, like writing. But the thing with writing is it takes time. You know, you have to sit down and plan it out and then draft and then and then write. And what I realized is that, you know, that was around the same time that I started listening to your podcast and some other ones too. And then I was like, oh my God, you know what? I could do something like this. Because uh, this is so like, it's like... um it's like right there and you're just talking and like you're in your thoughts and you're in the moment and then you're just going with it. Um, and I feel like aside from podcasting, it, it has been a really helpful tool for me as well um, in terms of like just getting my feelings out. Like you said, like that's what I could really relate to what you were saying about like just getting my feelings out when I'm overwhelmed and I'm anxious and like if I don't get these feelings out, I might you know, do something silly, um, you know, so then I just like record my feelings and then I just get them out and, um, yeah. And, and then I feel much better. Um, and yeah, so anyways, the podcast kind of like, it started more to like educate neurotypicals and now it's morphed to like, uh, more of a, like, also relatable content for neurodistinct people to better understand themselves and accept themselves, which I feel like you've been doing uh, with your podcast as well. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. People tell me that it's relatable and that makes me feel really good because um, it's just comforting to know that there are other people in the world that are like you, you know, and I've always felt sort of, like an outsider and I think a lot of people on the spectrum can relate to that how you're like is there anyone even like me like I feel so weird and then now I know, I know so many people that are like oh my gosh I think like that too and this yeah. is so relatable and I'm like oh I've found my people so yeah it's really nice yeah no because I mean like that's exactly how I felt like when I was listening to your podcast I was like oh my gosh, yes, this, yes, that, I feel like this, I feel like that, I feel like, like, yes, it was also relatable. Um, anyways, yeah, like, especially, like, the, the stuff about interactions with neurotypicals and, like, 
you know, when they're expecting you, like, there's a code. It's like the thing I was saying with the language. It's like there's this code. And this is how I always felt, like, since I was in school, like, as a young child. Like, there's this code that everyone knows and, like, that you're supposed to follow during an interaction. And it's like, I would always be like, how do they know that? Like, it's just, and for us, for a lot of us, it's just like, but, but I don't understand. Like, it's like, and it's not, it's just because we have our own code. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. It's not necessarily, see, it's only a deficit when you look at it from a neurotypical lens, in my opinion, in, in this particular aspect about social communication, um, because we actually have our own communication style. It's just not the same as neurotypical so there's like misreads and so i don't know like convert like you would mention like several little like every time you would mention something about like an interaction with the neurotypical i, I would find it very relatable yeah totally <laughs> um so i think uh i know you you talk about this in your podcast as well early on but um I was wondering if you could give us a brief overview of your autism discovery journey, like coming to the terms like so late in life that you you are autistic. Yeah, so um, this happened during quarantine when we were all kind of stuck at home and uh, there was a lot of change in my personal life and then in the world in general and uh, of course, that sort of threw me off and just, it was a, it was a stressful couple of years there. And I feel like, uh, a lot of stuff started to come to the surface that I couldn't really, uh, I, I, I guess to, to sum it up, I, I think now looking back, now that I know what I know that I was probably an autistic burnout Mm -hmm. uh, because I really started regressing a lot and a lot of the things that I was able to mask and keep under wraps I wasn't able to do that anymore and um yeah a lot of stuff started coming to the surface and so uh my partner actually was like hey like I don't know what's going on with you but like we need to figure it out and I'm like yeah so I started looking for a therapist but uh in my to find a therapist I sort of of course started doing my own research because that's what I do so I started kind of like googling some of the things that were going on with me and uh some of the websites that were coming up like the search results were about autism mm -hmm. and I was like huh and so I just started reading some of these things and particularly about autism in women and girls and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I was like checking all the boxes and I was like, wait a minute, because my, my daughter's autistic mm. and we had already known that for several years at that point. And I never really put two and two together that I could also be autistic and no one, like we saw a lot of doctors and she was in a lot of different programs and stuff like that. And no one ever let us know that there was a hereditary component to this or ever like question yeah. anyone else in the family um and i think 
you know, that kind of thing just isn't common practice, uh, which I think it should be. I think when a kid gets diagnosed, it should be like, all right, let's, let's look at the rest of you guys because there could be some, you know, there probably is, yeah. you know, another person in the family is diagnosed. So anyway, so yeah, I just sort of was like, wow, okay, is this a thing? And then, of course, got obsessive about it because that's how I roll and yeah. just started diving deep and everything I read about and everything I saw and watched and listened to. I was just like, yes, oh my gosh. And it was like, it honestly was, I had, there were a lot of mixed emotions about it, but it was honestly mostly really good because I finally felt like I had a why behind a lot of the things that I had always questioned about myself or felt like I didn't have answers to. And I was just like, wow, this is it. Like, this is, this is the answer. And uh, then I started looking for someone who could actually do a, an actual um, evaluation and, and formal diagnosis. I felt like that was important for me just because I don't know. I just you it wanted the validation of it, right? I wanted the validation. I felt like I was always kind of like questioning and being like, is this real? Am I, you know? And I just felt like having going through that process and getting the validation um was was an important step of the process. So I did. I waited quite a while for my for my diagnosis process and went through it and yeah sure enough she was like oh yeah and also you I think you have ADHD and she screamed me for that and she was like surprise and I was like okay I wasn't expecting that diagnosis at all but now that I know what ADHD and autism together look like Mm -hmm. it makes total sense because I'm like okay yeah because some of my traits are like definitely more lean more towards ADHD side and some of them lean way more towards autism side and yeah exactly. so yeah I feel so yeah the same it was way. very very validating yeah no it's like I feel the same way um with the traits I mean even just like when I got my I mean not traits necessarily because I know that you know how as you mentioned in one of your episodes the things that we experience as autistic people it's not that neurotypical people don't experience them too it's just that we experience them to the reasoning like the frequency and the reasoning and the ability to regulate for us is different um so and I actually really like that episode that you did I hope you didn't get a lot of backlash on it because I know you were no, worried I didn't yeah, yeah I was worried because I was like you know I think as autistic people, we're always worried about being misunderstood. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a common theme throughout a lot of our experiences and communicating with people is like, oh, I said this thing and it was taken this other way. Yeah. And so I'm always sort of, when I do topics like that, where I'm like, oh, I hope no one thinks that I'm saying my autistic traits don't exist or that everyone's autistic. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But no one, no one took it that way. Like, yeah, I think no, I did enough. I think you did a really <laughs> good job, like, through, throughout the episode. And I'll do the same thing a lot of times. I'll, like, make sure to just, like, emphasize. I'll be like, I'm not saying this. This is what I mean. And, yeah, yeah thankfully I haven't had trouble so far. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, but the, the whole thing about... So what I was saying is, like, 
I could relate a lot, not only to like when I got my autism diagnosis and then especially like after I started learning more about autism and what it really means, um, I started, you know, yes, this clicks, that clicks, that clicks, that clicks. But then also the whole thing with autism and ADHD, even though when I got my autism diagnosis, I didn't get, they didn't give me an ADHD diagnosis as well. As I'm learning more about autism, ADHD, and how they can both present together, and looking, like, as you said, looking at the characteristics of autism plus ADHD combined, I'm, I'm relating a lot to, to a lot of it, um, particularly the, the, spurts of hyperfocus and then executive dysfunction and how it's kind of up and down it's like for a lot of people for like non-ADHD people it's like more not that they're not some variations but it's generally more steady and for me I've noticed it's like hyperfocus like I'm doing a bunch of stuff in one day or one time and then it's like exactly burnout and I'm just like the next yeah. day I'm just like I can't I can barely like, get any tasks done. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, relatable. Yeah, so so that's the part that is leading me to suspect highly that I, I have both. Um, and because also talking to a lot of other ADHD folks over time with the podcast has, there's just a lot that we relate to, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what was my next question is what was the hardest part of school and work life for you as someone with executive dysfunction? So for me, um, to be honest with work, um, executive dysfunction hasn't really been too much of an issue because I feel like when I, have a specific job to do and I know that there are other people like counting on me to get that job done mm -hmm. that I have a lot easier time but it's when I'm sort of like left to my own devices and I'm a very like motivated person but there's a difference between having that like internal motivation and then <laughs> making something mm -hmm. come of it sometimes where you're just like True. I'm motivated to do this thing but I can't get it done somehow. So, but with school, um, for school now, I feel like I'm, I think it's just because I'm older and I've just sort of dialed some things in. Um, but definitely when I was growing up, um, executive dysfunction really messed me up in school. And this is of course before, way before I was diagnosed or anybody even, thought to you know give me any sort of like any sort of help or I mean it was I was always looked at as lazy yeah me too growing up mm -hmm. um my parents would be like you're you know you're smart like what's happening in school and then they'd be like you're just you're being lazy okay. and mm -hmm. I didn't have the vocabulary or the self-awareness to like mm -hmm. explain myself or even to like pinpoint what really was going on. I just yeah. was like, well, I guess, I guess I am lazy because I can't get stuff done. It would just, it really started 
um, to go off the rails when I got into junior high and high school where there were multiple classes throughout the day. You know, you didn't just have the same teacher all day long and whatever. So you had like multiple classes, multiple teachers, different expectations and a lot more homework and things to get done on your own. And I think to me, it just presented as disorganization and laziness. Uh, when really it was just like, I have all of this stuff and I don't know where to start. And so I would just be like, I'm just not going to start because I don't, I don't know what to do. And I would get overwhelmed and I would avoid and procrastinate. And then it sort of just becomes, um, kind of a hole that you can't get yourself out of and, yeah, I look back and I'm, I'm really frustrated because I feel like if I just had someone to sort of take me under their wing and be like, here, like, let's yeah. work on these things yeah. that, that I see that you're struggling with. Yeah. But everyone just acted like so confused by me. Even my teachers, they were like, oh, well, she's so smart. But it was always that. It was like yeah. every teacher conference. She's so smart, but this. She's so smart, but that. Mm-hmm. And and then my parents would be like, yeah, but she's lazy. That's what it is. And I'm like, yeah. So to this day, the word lazy, like, I if anyone even lazy. Yeah. implies mm-hmm. in a roundabout way that I'm lazy, I'm like, I, that's a trigger word for me. That's I'm a like, trigger word for me, God. too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Because so. I, yeah, like my whole life, the same thing, like through school, you know, I would be called lazy a lot. Um, because people didn't, like, even my parents sometimes, nothing against them, they just didn't understand, um, what was going on, and I think teachers and everything, like, there's, it's just so sad because of, like, how ingrained ableism is in society, that there are these ideas, like, if you can present as neurotypical enough, then they don't think that you... They don't like recognize that you might actually still have disabilities. Um, you're just masking really hard because you know you're basically being forced to mask and like being forced to mask more because they're expecting you to like perform like everyone else. Um, and um, there was something else I wanted to say, but I lost my train of thought, which. It tends to happen. Escaped you. Yeah. That happens to me all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was, yeah, just about, like, how there's not enough understanding. Yeah, like, like, if there were just more awareness and understanding, I feel like it would have just been, I would have had an easier time because I wouldn't have had to, to mask as hard. Um, yeah. So, and then, yeah, I, I get triggered by the word lazy because lazy is, it's an able, I consider it an ableist term because it's like expecting everyone to have the same levels of executive functioning and it just ignores the fact that not everyone does have the same levels. Of yeah. And I will say that I think now, as an adult, I overcompensate. So, for instance, in school now, 
as soon as I know I have an assignment that's going to be due, I start really stressing out about getting it done as soon as possible. Like this semester, I knew that at the end of the semester, we were going to have a presentation and a paper due. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, this is like a few months down the road, but I'm so worried about being late or not getting it done or getting stuck on it somehow, you know, like something going wrong that if I don't get it done right away or start working on it right away, I will, it'll be running in the back of my mind as like a worry. And I tend to over, overcompensate over, like I've become a, a sort of obsessive perfectionist because of my earlier experiences in life of not being able to get things done on time or the right way or you know being seen as lazy now I'm like oh my gosh I have to do everything 115 percent I have to you know turn things in early I have to you know so I've sort of swung to the other extreme and there are certain times now still where I do get I I get very like executive dysfunction brain when it comes to school and stuff but um I feel like it, it does show up a lot more in my, my personal mm-hmm. life and like my day-to-day existence Yeah. Uh, than anything. I wish that I understood like when I was going through school, I wish that I understood more about like how it really is just the difference in regulation of like the spurts of hyperactivity and executive dysfunction and... I think what I would do differently, like now knowing what I know now about neurodiversity, rewinding back in time to when I was in school, I would have used those spurts of, if like it's a day that I'm in hyper-focus, I'm going to use, like you said, I'm going to use this day that I'm in hyper-focus now to get work done that may not be due for like another two or three months. But then it's done, and and I've like already worked on it, and then if it, and then I'm already giving myself that accommodation for the days that I'm in executive dysfunction. I'm like, okay, now I can relax. I can actually, you know, rest because I've taken care of that when I was in hyperfocus. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, just wouldn't have been like guidance and and counseling around that would have been really helpful and okay I just finally I remembered what I wanted to say a few minutes ago um Uh, it came back it came back (laughs) yes it's um it's just really sad how you know because of like this whole mentality in the schools that people like this is what happened to me and I from what I understand it happened to you that you know we go through school thinking that we're lazy and calling ourselves lazy and that leads to a lot of you know a lot of being hard on ourselves because you know everyone else tells us that we're lazy and we just need to try harder instead of like actually you know like stopping and like sitting down with us and being like oh you know so how do you feel inside you know what what like describe like what's what's going on and like talk about like your struggles and and how can we accommodate how can we like change things to make them easier for you like how do you like to to work 
Like if if they had just done things like that, you know, it would have just mm-hmm. made such a difference. But then that also speaks to how a lot of neurodistinct people end up carving their own paths and strategies, like you know, like we've done, and and many others that I've talked to as well. Um, it it becomes it starts, you know, it's it's gotten pretty clear to me that, um, you know because we don't fit these molds that that all these people expect us to fit like we that that's like a, a nice thing that's a good thing like that comes from all of this I, I guess in essence is how we end up creating these own strategies and then because we create them it's it's we know that they work for us um and it's unfortunate that people don't always understand them and so you know, we don't always get to use them, but like in situations that we do get to use them, I, I really, uh, I find that really awesome how, how we can like come up with these strategies. Yeah, definitely. Um, so also on the topic of like school and, and work life and accommodations and stuff, um, this is an interesting question I have. How has it been for you advocating for your children like with their disabilities um at their schools as an and also as an autistic parent dealing with neurotypical teachers and principals yeah uh so unfortunately uh for my son because my son is now 25 so he's an Mm -hmm. adult and uh we were not aware of his neurodivergence while he he was still in school but I did see a lot of myself in him when he was going through school he struggled a lot with the same things I did and uh being perceived as lazy or super disorganized which I never said that to him uh because I knew what that felt like coming from my parents Uh, mm -hmm. but I still didn't know when I looked at that, like, I'm like, Oh, I remember I was like that, but I don't know why I was like that. So I'd look at him and be like, I don't know why he's like that either. And I didn't know how to help. And, um, you know, he made it through school and he graduated and he did fine. But like, I wish now looking back, I'm like, dang, I wish we would have known what we know now. Cause, uh, he did get an ADHD diagnosis a few years ago. And then after I got my autism diagnosis, uh we had a chat and he was like oh yeah maybe mm. <laughs> maybe me too and I'm yeah. like definitely you too so uh so but with my daughter you know she's 14 she just got into junior high um she's been on an IEP since she was uh eight mm-hmm. no seven ever since we started sort of down the path of trying to, to figure her neurodivergence out uh She's been on an IEP, which uh, for those that don't know, that stands for Individualized Education Plan. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of a legal document um, that allows for certain accommodations for your child if they have a disability. Uh, So that's been a huge help with my daughter as far as, you know, she gets accommodations at school for like if she needs extra time on an assignment, uh, she can have extra time to get things done. She can have extra time on tests. She can test in a separate room from everyone else where it's quiet. Um, she can uh, 
choose where she sits. Sometimes she can have um, less homework assignments Mm -hmm. than other kids. Like it might take her twice as long to get through half as much stuff, you know? And it's like, well, the thought behind it is, you know, as long as she's doing it and learning it, you know, she doesn't have to do 50 problems. Maybe she wants to do 10 problems. So all of those things are, have been really, really great accommodations Mm -hmm. for her. Uh, But I will say like, as far as dealing with neurotypical (laughs) teachers and principals and stuff like that, it is hard because I would say the main thing that's hard is that I feel like they all, as many people do, have a very specific idea in their head about autism. Oh my God. And ADHD. Because yeah, yeah, my my daughter has autism and ADHD. So Mm -hmm. she has both diagnoses as well. Um, And a lot of them, even though they have her IEP, autism Mm -hmm. isn't on there. It's just ADHD is on there, I believe. Or maybe that's not even on there. It might just be her specific learning disabilities that she has. But um, but outwardly, like if you meet her and look at her and interact with her, you're not going to clock right off the bat that she's autistic or has ADHD, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So a lot of the teachers, I think, overestimate her or they, when they do find out, you know, I, I mm-hmm. tell everyone going into the school year, you know, like Danica's autistic, she has ADHD and they're like, Oh, I would have, I would have never guessed, or I would have never yeah, known. You're not, or, it's like, Oh my God, that comment. Yeah. Man, I just, I've, I've gotten that comment too. And I'm like, people don't understand that. It's not always like something. It's not something that you can see. It's like, Right. I mean, they they think that you have to have, like, really glaringly obvious support needs to be considered autistic. And it's just... Uh, exactly. It's just yeah. so damaging. Yeah, because it's that basically, like, oh, I know, like... Because you're, you're, like, burning yourself out. We're burning ourselves out so hard masking, you know, because we feel like we have to. Because if we don't mask, it's the more direct ableism that we get. Um, but yeah. then if we do mask, then people don't even like, don't even realize they're just like, we're masking so darn hard. And it's like, it's basically like what it feels like is they're complimenting the mask, but like, I don't want to yeah. be complimented on my mask. I want to be comfortable enough so I don't have to mask, but yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. I know. Yeah. That comment really bothers me too. Yeah. Even though I know like, I know it's not really coming from like a malicious mm-hmm. place, but people need to understand that that's like not really an okay thing to it's say. It's not okay. And I try to make um, it, yeah, make it clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but something that can happen because of that with my daughter is, like I said, her teachers overestimate her and not that she's, you know, my daughter is capable of a lot, mm-hmm. but she's not capable of the same things as neuro, a neurotypical mm-hmm. kid. I mean, it just yeah. the school system is not set up for, for people like us to succeed nope. always, you know? Nope. So, um, but my daughter, she tries, she tries so hard and she doesn't want to use her accommodations unless she has to. Mm. Like she, she digs her feet in and is like, no, like I don't mm. need extra time. I don't need less work. Like she wants to, you know, as much as I try and talk to her and be like, hey, it's okay to use these accommodations. 
she wants to try as hard as she can to be like everyone else. And I feel like the more the teachers are praising that and being like, oh, she's doing great. Oh, she seems to be doing fine. I'm like, yeah, from your view, she seems to be doing fine. Yeah. But I see when she gets home and she's mm-hmm. like melting down over her yeah. homework. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. she's not comfortable enough in front of you to show you how much she's struggling mm-hmm. you know then she yeah. gets home in front of me and it's complete meltdown mode and she can't finish all this work and she's super overwhelmed and she thinks she's gonna fail and I'm like you can't go by what you see always with yeah, you know exactly. neurodivergent people especially kids because a lot of us do mask and a lot of us do especially as kids want just want to fit in yeah you know Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Like, gosh, it's super relatable for me. Like I, I would mask, it's like I would mask just enough. Like, so, cause like I would struggle a little bit, but then I would mask just enough that I would, that, you know, they wouldn't, um, they would think I'm fine. You know, they would say like, probably what they would say to your daughter and like oh see you're doing fine she's good and and it's just like no I'm like barely like I'm just like trying masking my hardest and I like shouldn't have to be masking this hard and it's like you said they don't see what happens at home they they only see like when you're putting on that mask at school but then you know the burnout the meltdowns they're not seeing any of that and it's just like such a bummer because like once again it's this environment like and it's such a, a bummer to hear that um you know because I felt this way too but to hear that your daughter was like trying to force herself to like do it the neuronormative way because you know because you know because like we feel ashamed because like we feel like we can't like because if we like, I feel this way. Like, there are friends that are actually, you know, I'm going to say neurotypical friends uh, of mine because my neurodistinct friends are, are different. They understand me more. But I always get, I get this frustration still. Like, even with the neurotypical friends that I have taught a lot about neurodiversity, they still don't seem to get it sometimes. Like, there are certain things that they're they they're out of our control like meltdowns emotional outbursts you know struggling like with executive functioning it's not and i hate it when they say like i should work on it or whatever because it's like and then the same people will ask me like why i consider autism my identity and that part of my identity and i'm just like guys it's like how my brain works it is literally how my brain works <laughs> like what the you know it's just like this oh anyways yeah um and it's just such a bummer because it's like on the other hand you know the difference like when when it's my neurodistinct friends their their communication style is just completely different they're more like oh my god i'm i'm sorry to hear like um, you know, I, I totally understand that I understand what you're going through. Like, how can I help you? How can we make this, you know, less stressful? And it's just like, yes, like that's what, that's what we need. Yeah. That's what people need in schools. Like that's what, there's a, so much education that is needed, especially for 
teachers and uh, just educators in general. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to think that by my daughter being in these teachers' classes and us being open about the fact that she is autistic, that that is sort of an education for them yeah, to be like, oh, a, okay. Yeah. It plants a seed. This kid's autistic mm-hmm. and you know, she seems quote unquote normal most of the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think I'm like, okay, just, just like existing mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and being open. That's why, you know, I, I try as much as possible to be open about my diagnosis, even though it is hard for fear of judgment. Um, yeah. from people who, just, who yeah. don't know what autism is, yeah. uh, but I do think like, okay, you know, if I can let people know like, hey, I'm yeah. autistic and this is what autism looks like, yeah. um, that people might be able to, to open their minds a little bit about yeah. it, you know? I feel the same way. Like I feel, and it's tricky too, because it's like, if I'm going to tell someone that I'm autistic and I know that they probably don't have a lot of understanding about autism... I just, I'm going to want, like, at least a few minutes with them to, like, actually have a little bit of a conversation about it and be able to explain certain things. Because if I just say to someone, oh, yeah, it's, you know, I'm autistic. Uh, like, they're not, I you know, you can see their face kind of, like, freezing or whatever. Like People get freaked out. They get, they get freaked, really out. freaked out. They get freaked yeah. out. They're just completely, like discombobulated because it's I'm not the stereotypical idea of what they think autism is um and it's just funny like because there's like one of the advocates I follow on Instagram they did a thing recently where they went to a shopping mall with the poster that said I am actually autistic uh ask me about autism or something like that and like I mean, there were, like, what I like is that it does, for a lot of people, it does, they're just, like, they don't know, and they're, like, curious. They're, like, oh, interesting, I want to learn, and maybe it plants a seed, and then they go learn about neurodiversity, which is great. Um, but then some, you see, like, especially older people, like, the people that have more stigmatized ideas, and not necessarily older people, but just people that, because there's just, like, one older couple that walked by, and, like, you see their faces, you know, like, it's just like this, as if they saw a ghost or something, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, they're just so perplexed by the idea of like this, in this case, it's a young autistic woman, you know, with not, without like, someone that's able to mask, you know, that, that exhausts themselves by masking, like a lot of us. But, you know, it's just like not a stereotypical, like young white boy with high support needs, non-speaking maybe. Um, and not to say that, you know, those flavors of autism don't exist because they do, but people don't realize that it's a whole spectrum and spectrum is not linear because then people know it drives me so crazy because people know about the word spectrum. They know it's a spectrum, but they don't know. They keep, they keep talking about the spectrum as if it were linear and it's like, guys yeah spectrum not a scale it's like the (sighs) spectrum is a is a a pizza wheel or a pizza graph it's like 
I try to, I always use the pizza wheel analogy. I try to tell them, think of a pizza wheel of like different, each slice is a different like trait or con condition to a different intensity. And then they get, usually they get it. Um, but it's just yeah. so crazy. Like the amount of, it's so concerning because it's like, there are actually, I mean, as we all know, unfortunately, parents of autistic children and people that work with autistic children that are still thinking this way, that are still mm -hmm. using terms like mild and severe and using functioning labels. Um, mm -hmm. Just like, wow. I mean, because these are the people that actually really need to be educated. Like, I try to do, you know, I try to educate everyone because I just feel like the more people that know, eventually this message will get to the people that really need to know. Um, but I think everyone really needs to know, but like it'll get to the people that can actually like start implementing change. Um, and like people like, or that are working directly, like either parents or people that are working directly with autistics. Um, and so that, that is something that, that makes me really happy about my podcast and about your podcast and all the other podcasts out there, um, is that I think slowly but surely we are finally like changing the narrative at least a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. I think it's, I think it's happening slowly but surely and we'll get there it just takes yeah. time for these things to happen but the process is frustrating yeah i um i think before we finish i just you know since we're like on this topic of um ableism particularly like medical even medical ableism really um people that are in the medical and psychiatric fields um that don't have a big understanding because I actually remember and so I'm gonna ask you to like talk a little bit about it but I remember in one of your episodes uh you talked about how I think when you were having some anxiety issues you went after you got your your diagnosis you went to see you were like looking into medication if I don't if I'm not mistaken and you went you had to like have an evaluation with a psychiatrist I think um, and you, you said, she said some, even knowing that you had a diagnosis for autism and ADHD, um, I'll just let you tell the viewers a little bit about some of this, these things that this professional that's supposed to know about this stuff said to you. Yeah. You know, oh gosh. Yeah. It was so long ago that I don't remember exactly what she said. I guess I have it on the, that I did make an episode mm -hmm. about it. So anyone who wants to hear like the story when it was fresh in my mind can go listen to that one. But, um, she was very, she didn't come right out and say like, Oh, I don't think you're autistic, but I could tell by the question she was asking me and the way she was asking them. And like, she was just like acting all suspicious, like, Oh, well who diagnosed you with that? And you know like saying all these things where I was like this lady doesn't believe me yeah like, no she's basically she interrogating out. you because like yeah she was yeah she just can't acknowledge and that that's what really annoys me it's like because there are people that are willing to learn and that are like even professionals that are constantly like learning more about neurodiversity and 
how it can present in different people. And then there are people that are just not willing to learn and they just they're just stuck in their um outdated ableist ideas and and then they're like argue like like you have a formal diagnosis and yeah. they'll like oh, that just drove me crazy like when I was listening to that episode about you talking about you know how she was like interrogating you and then I don't I don't think it was with you, but I think you mentioned, and maybe it might have even been someone else, but I remember someone mentioning something about them being told that they couldn't be autistic because they walked up the stairs um, or because they were in a relationship. Or I think it might have even been you that, that she said that because you were in a relationship, she thought that you couldn't be autistic. And I'm just yeah, like... Yeah, that's right. That now not refreshed the memory. She did say that. She said, Oh, um, well, she said something about uh, the fact that I had been married before uh-huh. and then that I am in a relationship, like a long term relationship now. And she's like, Oh, so, so you are married. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Yeah. And she was like, Hmm. You know, and she said something to the effect of, like, Oh, well, you know, autistic people like usually don't get married or something like that or like don't have relations long-term relationships or things and i was like what this woman is like treating is a psychologist who's treating people like it's terrifying and I i'm know. like wow uh you really don't know anything we get like, treated like we're broken like we're constantly getting treated like we're we're like either that we're broken or that we're supposed to be like unable to be like I don't I don't know if this woman or if these people that think this way ever stop to reflect and like think of how damaging it is when it sounds like especially to people with high support needs when they say this kind of stuff that you know you wouldn't implying that you wouldn't be in a relationship if you're autistic like like instead of focusing on oh how do we make the world friendlier to autistic people so that they can thrive and be in relationships because it's just like yeah we struggle with relationships we struggle with relationships because people don't you know properly like accommodate us they just like you know they like expect us like how are we supposed to like do well if people like the standard is for us to not do well like the standard is for us to not be in relationships I'm like, that drives me crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's supposed to be, like, the norm. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just not true. It's so, so false. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, man, lady. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very frustrating. Yeah. I would have, I mean, I, I commend you for, like, you know, not completely, like, losing it at her. Because I think I might have honestly, like, just started arguing with her like I I would have gotten offended and been like I mean I'm sure you were too but it's like yeah I would have I was offended for sure but I'm 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 such a passive person that I'm like well well you know she's she's gonna think what she's gonna think and I'll just see someone else but it does really freak me out that they're you know she's not the only one out there like that that's treating patients and yeah no wonder there's so many undiagnosed autistic people running around if these are the psychologists that we have I know I know and I try to and I hope people understand, like, it's not, 
because like there's also this whole thing like I think really people are just internally uncomfortable with the fact that autism and ADHD are a lot more common than they think and so they mm-hmm. keep calling it like I see all these ableist articles by people who don't know what the heck they're talking about saying oh uh, autism and ADHD hype trend or whatever and it's like oh, yeah. no like we're not choosing to identify as autistic and ADHD and to come out as autistic and ADHD for fun like we're trying to say like our brains work differently and society is not treating us right and fairly and we're just trying to like we're coming out and and there's more awareness now and more people even though it's still heavily underdiagnosed and you know only for people that and only certain people are able to get a diagnosis um to afford a diagnosis uh it's it's like still it's so stigmatized it's like yeah like and then so like because there's more people now coming out talking about it it's like oh my god it's a hype trend oh my god it's overdiagnosed and it's like i don't like these people just don't understand i don't know it just drives me crazy it's like why don't we stop and be like oh how did we miss all these people being autistic how did we miss all these you know like that's what we should be talking about yeah um, yeah. yeah, and it's like, why would anyone? I just, I just don't feel like anyone's choosing autism as a thing to pretend to have because it's like, no, it's why? Like, why? what would someone even get out of that? It's not like yeah. you get anything special from things. If anything, it's the opposite. If anything, get... it's the opposite, and that's <laughs> yeah. what we're trying to so, say. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, why would anyone be like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna say I'm autistic for uh, attention or whatever. Yeah. It's like. No, no, I feel like if someone wanted attention, they would pick probably a different thing. Yeah, they would pick <laughs> something else. about themselves yeah. or to pretend about. Yeah. Like, there's just, mm-hmm. there's not people out there pretending to be autistic. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. if someone looks at autistic traits and they look at the DSM criteria, like, if they're relating, if they're like, this sounds a lot like me, they, they have all the same struggles. It's like, what is the harm? Mm-hmm. And that person getting an autism diagnosis, like they're not, they're literally getting nothing except maybe a few accommodations that will help them be more successful in the world, which in turn benefits everyone. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what's the problem? <laughs> yeah. So I, it's it was just, like a gatekeeping thing right now. It's about super autism. It's gatekeeping. Like, yeah. It's so gatekeeping. It's, it's so dumb. Yeah. I could go off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, those are all the questions I have, and I know we've we've been at it for an hour, so um, I'll let you go. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you once again for coming on. Um, it was a, a pleasure having you on this podcast. Uh, everyone, I, please, I encourage you all to check out Melissa's podcast if you haven't yet. Oh, that oh, that's just my autism. Um, Check it out on Spotify. Um, Great podcast. I highly recommend it. Uh, And yeah, I mean, with that said, thank you once again for for coming on today. Thanks for having me. It was great. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you everyone for listening. Um, And uh, I hope you, you enjoyed this episode. And I'll see you next time.